Amen. I, I said that it, I told her later, I said, if you were speaking in tongues, I would have never known the difference. So, <laughs> I, what a blessing. Amen. You know, I, uh, how many of you kind of heard a prevailing theme through the service today? There's been a prevailing theme with Athea and then John and David coming up. And, you know, it was either the word rise up. There was also a word that God wanted us to shift gears and not wear the same gear out all the time. Amen. And God's calling us to make a shift. You know, I believe we are living in a season in our culture and in our time That is a, the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice. It is, and and I want to, you know, the Lord's actually uh, addressed some things in me. I'd like you to turn turn with me in your Bibles to John 5. I'm speaking on power vision. Uh, I'm speaking to you on vision this morning. And uh, I want to take you into a particular passage, very well-known passage but I, I really believe as I was in prayer uh, some months ago, the Lord impressed upon me that <clears throat> unless our focus, everyone say focus, unless your focus is on the Lord. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. In other words, he's the one who started things out. He's the one who began things. He's the one who has has actually initiated some things to take place. He who, has, uh, uh, he who has begun a good work will be faithful to complete it. But we also need to realize that um, God is working things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And it's so important that we see life through a healthy lens. If our lens is not healthy, we're going to kind of get really discouraged. I, I remember uh, uh, about a couple of years ago, because uh, I was a guy who loves to watch the news, and I was allowing the news uh, to affect my spirit. And one of the ways I knew it was affecting my spirit is when the news is being given on your television, I was one of those guys that was talking back at my TV. By the way, I wasn't just talking. I was yelling. I was not having a good day because I did not like. I mean, I said, I would say things like this. Those liars. Those, I can't believe those guys are saying those kind of things. They're just, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And, and my wife would come into the room and say, Ray, get a grip. Get a grip on your life. What are you doing? It's, it's our culture. Yeah, but they're, they're just making up stories that's crazy. And, you know, the Lord really began to uh, impress on me that I was letting my surroundings, things around me, begin to pull me down. And you know the enemy, you know the one thing the, the enemy's after? He's after your peace. The devil's after. He wants to rob, kill, steal, and destroy your joy. He comes in and he does it in subtle ways. Now, if you do not have the whole armor of God on, you're a sitting duck. You know, the devil will use, whether it's politics, he will push your buttons, he will press the triggers in your life, he will, he will get you stirred up. The devil wants you to get so stirred up 
that you start barking back at the TV or you're barking back at your boss or barking back at your spouse or you're, you're, you're losing focus. When you begin to lose focus, you begin to drift. When you begin to drift, you begin to go into bondage. And, or you might even resort to some hostile situations. And that's what the devil wants. He wants you to fight the wrong fight. He wants you to get into the wrong battle. And that's where we get messed up. You know, uh, the Bible says in Isaiah, it says, You, the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, everyone say the mind, whose mind is stayed upon thee. That's why it's so important today that we have healthy influences, that our hearts and our minds are in the right place. Amen? Because if you're not in the right place, and if you're not renewing your mind, how many here love to eat? Well, the rest of you are liars. We love to eat. Well, you don't just feed your belly. You feed your mind. And you're feeding also, we have a hunger and a thirst, or we hunger and thirst for relationships. We feed our relationships. We feed, we're constantly feeding in areas of our soul or our mind. We, we might hunger for a relationship. We might hunger for uh, status on the job. There are people today that, that have, they thrive and they, they strive to reach a particular status or a place uh, where they feel that there's going to bring some comfort or some kind, a measure of success, they hunger and they will feed on things. They'll feed on people. They'll go and they'll uh, maybe do things. Uh, maybe they will appeal to their place of employment for uh, uh, promotion or money. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with promotion or money. And there's nothing wrong with wealth or riches either, as long as we don't allow those things to begin to twist and to begin to manipulate our, our own lives. God wants to bless you. In fact, Paul, uh, John says this in this, uh, third John. It says, I would, brother, above all things, that you prosper and be in health as your soul. That's my mind. My, my, as your soul prospers. So in other words, true prosperity comes as my soul prospers. If I don't have a healthy soul, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to waste I'm going to waste everything else. You can have a wasted marriage. You can, have a, you can waste your money. You can waste your time. You can waste your life. And so this morning, I'm going to be focusing a little bit on vision and helping us to develop a healthy vision. And Jesus represented the kingdom. He represented a culture from heaven. Jesus said, I'm the living bread that has come down from heaven. And he wanted to give living bread... Because he wants us to feed on things. He wants us to feed our minds and our lives with a healthy diet of the Word of God, with the kind of core values that begins to nurture and feed our relationship, feeds our life, feeds us. Amen? So let's bow our heads for a few minutes. Father, we pray right now that the anointing that has been here this morning would continue to, Lord, just to... Uh, Empower us this morning. We thank you for the precious word of God. I'm asking you, Lord, to give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you always make a way where there is no way. 
ask you, Lord, to give us understanding in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. John chapter 5, a very familiar passage uh, this morning. Before we get into this, by the way, I need to say this. Uh, we're on the, on the home stretch. How many of you noticed a little bit of paint out here in the hallway? We're kind of uh, given a facelift into the, what I call the, the nerve center of the church, which is our offices and uh, classrooms, nurseries, things of that nature. We needed to do this simply because we had some serious maintenance issues, electrical as well as our ceiling was falling down. And we, we were needing about eighteen dollars to $20,000. And if you could pray about helping us uh, uh, if you could give and help us uh, cover some of these expense, expenses, that would be tremendously a blessing as we try to pay this off. One of the things that we've always made a priority in this house is we don't go into debt. Uh, we don't go out and borrow money. We believe that we need to believe God and we need to give and pay our bills as we go. And so that's what we're trying to do. Amen. So would you pray about that? And we pray that you'll... Uh, Uh, give if you can on these areas. John chapter 5 verse 1, Jesus here is coming into Jerusalem, verse 2, and it says, and in Jerusalem, Jesus was at the feast of the Jews, and in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Notice what it says there. It says, these people are waiting. Waiting for something to happen. They're lying and they're waiting. They're sick. They're paralyzed. They're blind. But they're waiting. For an angel would go down at a certain time in the, into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. And it says, verse 6, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. Everyone say a long time. This guy's been here for a long time. I want you to think about this. Because I believe the Holy Spirit this week says, I want to give people a vision that begins to bring them out of that time or that condition that has so overwhelmed them or a condition that has prevailed in their life. And it says, Jesus saw and knew. It's important that we get this. Jesus saw and knew that this man had been in this condition a long time. And when Jesus saw him and knew that he'd been there, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Are you interested, like David said this morning, how many of you interested in shifting gears? How many of you remember what Athea said? How many of you believe that we need to rise up? Okay, uh, those were the words that came prophetically. They didn't, I didn't even talk to these folks about the prophetic words, so I believe there's a prophetic ring and an element here that God is calling us as a church to rise up. And Jesus asked them the question, do you want to be made well? 
I don't know about you guys, but I think that's almost an insult of a question. What do you think? I've been here for 38 years. Do you want to be made well? How many of you know that when Jesus asks a question, he usually knows the answer? But the purpose of the question is not for the answer that he's seeking for because he doesn't know. He knows everything. But what he's asking us to do is he's challenging us where we're at. He's asking us, do you want to be made well? I honestly believe there are sick people. There are people that, like here in John 5, have been in a condition for so long that they don't want to be made well. They really have come to accept the condition of where they're at. In fact, do you know that misery loves company? There's sometimes there are people that will find company with others where they're at, and they will stay in that place. And here's the reason. Because they want sympathy. Now, I do believe there's a place for compassion, and there's always an import for compassion and sympathy, and we need that. But it can become a dangerous situation if a person holds you there and you never move forward. That's a dangerous situation if you never grow and move out of that place. And so Jesus asked them a very important question. Do you want to be made well? i got to share something really short. I remember several years ago after a surgery I had received in my lower back in the year 2000, I had received a lower uh, back surgery, and the doctor had given me pain medication. And uh, folks, I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to tell you this, but when I got, the doctor said that, and he told this, me this before my surgery, he says, we're going to give you a very strong pain medication. You will become addicted, but we will wean you off of it. Now, I want to tell you something. That went right over my head because I'd never had a problem with, with drugs in my life. But after my surgery, I got the pills, and I want to tell you, I was in la-la land. La-la land was fun. Anybody who says that drugs isn't fun is a liar. La-la land was a blast. Pastor Ray, how dare you say that? No, it was a blast. It was fun. It was an escape. And here's the tragic thing. One day my wife came down to my office right here in my pastor's study. She says, Ray, are you on some pills again? And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Doing great. And right there, the Holy Spirit just nailed me and said, not nailed me, but he convicted me. He says, you just, you just lied to your wife. And you know what I said to God? No, I didn't. No, 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 I, I, I didn't lie. I, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I guess I did. I, I, I lied to my wife. And I, I'll never forget taking my little, by the way, this is not it. This is anointing oil here. But I remember taking my bottle of Furanol, it was Furanol 3, down to my wife. And I said, Carol, I got a problem. I become addicted to this stuff. And I laid it in her hands. 
I said, I need help. But I, I didn't realize that what I was in, I was in denial. But like the man at the pool of Bethesda, I didn't want to get well. I even had a doctor. My doctor, you know what he did? He called me up every month and said, Hey, Brady, you need more pills? Yeah. And you know what I began to do? I began to look for pain. My surgery had been over for months. But all of a sudden, yeah, I, th- I think I got a pin- finger of pain. Yeah, I, I, got a, I, got a, I, I got a pain. I started looking for pain so I could feel good for the pills. Pastor Ray, how dare you talk about such a thing? Here's the problem, folks. We got a culture that is full of addicts. And I want to tell you right now, God did not create your body, your physical body. By the way, it doesn't have to be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be porn. It can be food. It can be a number of different things. God created our bodies to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The Bible says that in a great house, this is my house, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. I am to honor God in my body. Now, I do want to say, I do believe there's a place for medication. There's a place where people do need pain medication or other kinds of medication and things because they, they are going, maybe they're in a place of recovery out of surgery. I have no problem with that. I'm not trying to condemn anyone if you've been on that type of a situation under doctor's care. But for me, I'm just saying to you, the Holy Spirit really began to convict me that I, had be, I began to slip into a deceptive mode where I was deceiving and lying to myself and then lying to my wife about that. And the Lord began to speak to me that I needed to be transparent. Do you know that what, let me just tell you what, about marriage. Marriage doesn't mean that you have the right to just kick the conversation out. When my wife asks me a question, I have no right to say to my wife, it's none of your business. That, that, that is not a marriage. Marriage does not mean I have the right to keep secrets. None of your business, Carol. You don't need to know. You're not even married then. Because marriage means you're one. You're one. There's no secrets. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. It's awful quiet in here right now. There is no secrets. And by the way, do you know why God gives you a spouse? To help you. It's called a helpmeet. To save you. But what you're really doing, for me to resist my wife, is to resist the Holy Spirit. Because God uses your spouse to bring things to your attention so he can heal you. But if you want to resist, you may say, well, I, I know she's just, she's just gold digging. Man. She's just out to find fault. No, no, stop. Stop believing those lies. God uses your spouse to help you. And I had to really come clean. And I said, Lord, there's some areas in my life. And my, God, you put that spouse in my life to help me communicate, help me to talk. And I'm sitting there like an immature little brat running. I was immature and I was childish. And I needed to grow up. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. It's, it's so important. But I was in a denial. And part of it was... I was feeling good. It was called idolatry. And I had to come to face that. 
It's amazing how we justify these things. But here's, what does that have to do with John 5? It has everything to do with it. Because here's a guy who was addicted to lying by a pool. He was addicted in his own situation where he'd become addicted to this compulsive, codependent issue here in his life. But Jesus, by the way, Jesus doesn't come to bring light on anything in your life to condemn you. He's not here to, I call it the gotcha moment. He's not here to say, I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm going to bring light on you and I gotcha so I can condemn you. That's That's not his mode of operation. Anytime Jesus brings something to our attention, it's because he wants to heal us. We have to believe that. We have to come to know. If you don't believe that his plan and desire is to heal you, then you're going to always have a distorted view of authority. Huge. You'll always have an issue with spiritual authority in your life, starting with your Heavenly Father. He wants to heal you. If you can't receive from him, then you'll have a hard time with authority in your life and on any level. And then guess what? You'll have a hard time being in authority. One of the things I find with even parents that have a hard time being in authority is because they have a problem with authority. If you have a problem with authority, then when your dad, mom, with your wife, your mother, your brother, sister, you could be an employee, employee, you will have a tough time. It'll be a challenge in your life. It will be a very difficult time. But we, hear, we find that Jesus confronts the situation, says, I know you've been stuck. You've been in this condition a long time. Do you want to get well? And we find here it says, verse 7, the, the man says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps in before me. Jesus said, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Everyone say, rise. Now, Jesus wasn't just giving him a word. Jesus was simply bringing a revelation of what was on the inside of what could happen for his life. In other words, Jesus was helping him to understand really what the concept of repentance really means. Because he wasn't rising. It says, verse 9, though, and immediately, I love the word immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked and that day was the Sabbath, and the Jews therefore said to him, who was, uh, the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, "It is the Sabbath. Is it not lawful for you to? It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. <clears throat> it's not the right time." And he answered, he, uh, he answered them, "He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk." Then he asked him, "Who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk." But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, notice this verse 14, afterward Jesus finds him in the temple. He's in church. And Jesus says, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now somebody said, how? I can't believe Jesus would say such a thing like that. Jesus says, sin no more, 
lest a worse thing come. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Can you say amen to the word of the Lord here? Now, I thought it was interesting that in other places in in the gospel, Jesus doesn't say this to everyone. He doesn't track him down like he did here. But we find that in this condition, in this particular condition, Jesus connects this man's infirmity with sin. But he doesn't do it in every case. But in this condition, Jesus says, I want you to know you've been made well. But I don't want you to continue in sin. And even it goes so far as to say, lest a worse thing. Now, some of us may have a tough time with this. I just want you to know, folks, I'm reading the red here. This is not Ray's interpretation. Jesus said, do not get... How many of you believe there comes a point where we need to stop sinning? We need, to, we need to find freedom and we need to find our healing in Christ, but we need to look at the root of what is the problem. And when Jesus said, sin no more, lest a worse thing, it wasn't because he was condemning him. It's because Jesus legitimately had a concern and a compassion for this man's life. By the way, I want to tell you that the greatest healing is not in your body. It's what happens in your heart. The Lord wants to heal us in our heart. But what we have here is we have a gentleman. And it's interesting that Jesus comes. And there's some observations I want you to just take note of. First of all, we find that all of these people are stuck. They're in a condition where they're sick. And again, we're not just... This, this passage is so much bigger than Jesus healing a man who's been in a condition for 38 years. Jesus' greatest challenge is uh, confronting the condition that's in the heart. It's in the mind. There are strongholds in our minds. And so when Jesus confronts the man and asks him, do you want to make well? It wasn't healing the man's infirmity, but it was dealing with strongholds that would limit Jesus from what he could do. And so when this man here is lying in this condition, we find that he's, they're, they're, they're not only in this condition, but it says they're waiting. There are people that are waiting for something to happen. And I want to tell you something. That, that's, that's not really a, a place of faith. It's just waiting for something. I, I'm waiting. Waiting for something. I'm waiting for the government. I'm waiting for other people to change. I'm waiting for the big breakthrough. And we find that these people have been in this condition waiting for something to happen. The third condition we find is their dependency on others. Let me just say this. I, I think it's interesting. Do you know that there are certain relationships and there are certain friends that can actually keep you from going higher? There are certain relationships in your life that will keep you from moving into your full potential. There comes a place where you need to actually evaluate the people and even friends. Are there friends in my life? Are there people? There there could even be relatives. There could be people that that so stroke my ego, and they they never confront, they never challenge me, but they they, they befriend me, and they, they may sound very encouraging, but I'm never really growing. And I seem to be held back 
by certain relationships and certain friendships. And I think what happens is, is that uh, these people become, they begin to form relationships and they begin to become dependent even on each other. And let me tell you what that means. Is that if, if you continually gather people or you become gathered with others that just hold you into a place where you're a constant victim, you'll never move into healing. I, I, need, to, I need to help myself grow. I, I remember a couple of years ago when I started on this, this uh, process in my own life in, in uh, exercise, losing weight, eating right. When I begin to move into that arena and just making certain changes, <clears throat> now, I didn't mean I broke any relationships off, but I knew that I had to make some changes in the way I think. Uh, Carol and I had to make some changes in the way we shopped, how we shop for groceries and how we buy food because it was a lifestyle change. And uh, also there was some scheduling that we had to make. We had to make time for exercise. Getting healthy was not going to happen by me just sitting there drinking my chocolate milkshake and watching a Jane Fonda video. I was going to actually have to make some schedule changes. I'm going to have to actually get up at four in the morning and do my treadmill and my nine ab exercises and things of that nature. I had to schedule it. Um, <clears throat> I began to talk to some people who understood nutrition and exercise and things of that nature. I, I, had, to, I had to make some changes intentionally. Everyone say intentional. Intentional. I have to become intentional about my healing because that's what vision involves. Vision is not just thinking about what I'm going to do, but vision involves taking some steps. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Let me give you the definition of vision versus goals. Vision is a picture of the destination that I'm trying to reach. But we, there's a difference. Goals has to do with the steps or the strategy that I'm going to take to reach that destination. For instance, when my wife and I were in our second year of marriage, I remember we had some very difficult times on communication. We, in fact, I did not think in our second year of marriage, I did not think we were going to make it. I really had a pessimistic view. I began to realize that the girl that I fell in love with, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was my girlfriend, she was my wife. When I got married to her, I began to realize this woman is not the kind of woman I thought she was. And I began to realize, wow, she's a different lady. I, this is not what I thought. And it's amazing when you're in that mode of thinking as because of my brokenness and because of my immaturity that I was in, I begin to shift the blame. It's her fault. Or this fault and that. And, and I, I, it's amazing because that's one of the conditions here, or observations that we find here in, with the man at the pool of Bethesda. When Jesus said, do you want to be made well? You know what is, what is, notice the first thing he said, Lord, I don't have anybody else. Nobody will help me. You know, that's one of the biggest reasons why people leave a church. I don't go to that church anymore because nobody there will help me. Nobody helps me. That's a sad excuse. 
when you begin to blame, in fact, it's whether it's employment, whether it's in a marriage, the tendency when we're broken is to cast the blame. By the way, can I just give us some revelation here? <laughs> we're living in a broken world. There's always going to be somebody that's going to hurt you. And if you're looking for, that's why a lot of people give up on church. They give up on the kingdom of God, because they don't understand that the reason why God puts you with imperfect people is to help you grow. If you're looking for this zone where people are just seeing it your way, you're going to find yourself being a very lonely person. Because God intended for, Proverbs says, for as iron a brother was born for adversity, for as iron sharpeneth iron. God uses people in our life. But we find that one of the conditions in this situation is that they found companionship and they found company among people who thought like them. If you surround yourself with people who think like you, you will stay stuck. I remember hearing a, a story of a young man in a small town who was a boxer. He, he was boxing. And he was this, the small-town champion boxer. And he won every fight. They had these uh, boxing matches. Well, one day, he decided to leave the town because there was no one else in the town to fight. And he decided to leave. And the people of the town, they had honored this young man because he was a boxer. And they couldn't believe that this young man wanted to leave their town after they'd honored him and given him some awards. And he says, well, I need to go to a bigger city. And they said, why? Why do you want to leave us? He says, because I need greater challenges. So because he left, the people persecuted him. Because he wanted to grow. Do you know when you want to go to a new level, there will be people that will persecute you. Because they want to hold you in their clique. Hear me on this. If you're in a clique and those people aren't helping you grow, you need to evaluate if that's a healthy relationship. I'm not suggesting in any way. Am I not suggesting on writing? I'm not suggesting we write people off. I'm not suggesting that we don't talk to them. But there comes a point where I need to begin to evaluate my time. Am I putting my time into people that are going to help me grow to a new level? How many of you want to grow? I don't want to just get around people who just keep me in a comfort zone where I'm dying. And that's what was happening with this man. He was around people that was not challenging him to go to a new level. And then the, the fourth observation is he was a man of excuses. He would make excuses. The next thing we find, he was limited by his own fear. And here's the, one of the most deadly observations, is that when Jesus came in around the pool, no one noticed Jesus. Everyone had their eyes on the pool rather than Jesus. If you have your eyes on the pool, and that's why Jesus, the Bible says in some cases he could not do many mighty miracles because they had no expectation in him. But we find here that Jesus comes and he begins to challenge him and he begins to speak right into the very core of the way he 
is thinking. I want you to keep your hand there, but jump over with me to Matthew chapter 6. There's a powerful principle in a, when, when it comes to vision. Notice what it says in Matthew 6 verse 22. It says, the lamp or the light of my body is the eye. Now he's not talking about just your physical body here. He's talking about your life. In Matthew 6.22, Jesus is given a parable. He says, the lamp or the light or insight of the body is the eye. And he's not referring to your your physical eye. He's talking about, in in the Greek word here, it means your mind's eye or how you see through the way you think. How your mind's eye, how you see through your mind's eye. He says, the lamp of the body is through your mind's eye. If therefore your mind or your eye is good, your whole body will be full of revelation, wisdom, understanding, or favor, or light. The word good there is also translated single. If therefore your eye be single, Your whole body or your life will be full of understanding and wisdom. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, you're going to stumble. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And therefore, if therefore the light... That is in you. In other words, he's talking about if your understanding, if what you believe in your heart and your mind is to be light or to be truth, he says, in you, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, he's saying this is if if you believe and embrace something that is not based on truth, he says, then you are in a deep sense of darkness. So back here in John chapter 5, Jesus here begins to address how this man is thinking and his desires. And he asks him, do you want? Because folks, let me just say this. Vision begins with desire. It begins with a healthy focus. And it it comes down to this because I, I believe unless I am teachable, I am, I am able to be taught and instructed. I'm not going to have a healthy vision. My vision needs to be healthy, but it starts with an honest assessment. And so Jesus addresses the man's desire and says, Do you want to be made well? And Jesus speaks to him and he says, Rise and take your bed up and walk. Now what we have here is a collision. We have a collision of heaven and earth. We have light and darkness. We have the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom of heaven, which is the supernatural power and life and honor of the Father, colliding with this mindset on earth where they're victimized in a culture of of defeat and uh, just waiting, waiting for something outside to change so I can be happy on the inside. And so Jesus begins to speak a word. Everyone say a word. I need to have the word. When Jesus begins to speak the word, rise. It's not just a word just to his head. But Jesus was speaking right into that situation. Right into his life. And when I begin to receive that word, I love what it says in verse 9. It says, immediately the man was made well. But he didn't say just rise. He said, rise and take up your bed 
and walk. In other words, here's, here's what vision involves. Vision means I'm not coming back here anymore. I'm not coming back to the way I used to think anymore. Rising, rise, take up your bed and walk. So Jesus says three things. Rise. Number two, take up your bed. Number three, walk. It's not enough just to rise. How many of you know you can rise and flop right back down? I need to rise. I need to take up that bed. By the way, you know what that bed is? That bed is what I've been laying on for years. That bed is a comfort. That bed is the comfort zone, or it could be the lie that I've been believing that's brought a false comfort. It's a bed. It's a bed. I remember when I was uh, telling my doctor several years ago, when I was coming off the addiction to pain medication, I had to get rid of the doctor. I didn't kill him or anything. <laughs> but getting rid of the doctor meant I was not going to go back to that guy. Because this guy was just feeding me everything. There comes a point where you know what, if you really want to rise and take up your bed, you've got to get rid of some phone numbers and you've got to put some relationships. And not that the doctor was a bad guy. I'm not trying to write him off. I know he needs Jesus. I Maybe he's a Christian. I don't know. But this guy was feeding something in my life that was destroying me. And I had to move on. Everyone say move on. When Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. I'm not going back there anymore. It's behind me. My excuses, my comfort zone, blaming everybody else. I'm not going to blame anybody anymore. I'm going to take ownership where I'm at because I want to get healthy. You, you've got to make this kind of, oh, Pastor Ray, wait, wait a minute. Where's mercy and compassion here? Don't, don't we just need to show some mercy and compassion? Absolutely. I'm going to give you all the mercy and compassion as we're kind of kicking your butt on the way. Praise God. No, just kidding. No, but we need to move forward. We don't want to stay here and die. What is vision all about? Vision is about, first of all, when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk, Jesus was trying to open this man's mind and life. Where he, Listen, you were created to subdue, take dominion. You were created to overcome. You were created to turn, uh, to, to turn situations around. You were created to be victorious. You're not created for defeat. You're not created for a codependent lifestyle. You were created to rise up and be a blessing to others. You were created for life. When Jesus told him just to rise, take up in his bed as well, what Jesus was doing was bringing the culture of heaven, the culture of the kingdom, and letting him know, your, this way of life is coming to an end so I can begin to open up a new story and a new chapter in your life. Let me just tell you folks about vision. Vision is a blueprint that involves your life story. And if my life story is a story of, con uh, of a repeated, a continual repeated defeat, and, and I'm constantly backsliding, whether it's in my attitude, whether it's in my actions, whether it's in excuses, whether it's in, in my own pain, 
If I'm constantly in that place, I need to ask, is, is this the story that God has destined for my life? Has he destined for me to be a constant victim in pain, a constant victim where I'm just keeping company with people like me that are constantly making excuses? I don't want to be there anymore. I believe when Jesus said, rise and take up your bed and walk, and then he came, followed him up later, and he says, sin no more. I asked the Holy Spirit when I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what, what was the sin in this man's life? And I felt the Lord give me, let me know what the sin was. It was the sin of unbelief. It's unbelief. The, great, the root of all sin is unbelief. It wasn't some nasty habit. It was the fact that the guy just didn't believe. And, and, and here, God is, God is wanting to open our hearts and our eyes. I believe God wants us to rise up. And he wants us to see a new chapter written in our life. He wants to write a new story. And you know what? That story might have been where I, for 38 years, like this man here at the Pool of Bethesda, for 38 years I was lying down waiting for something to happen. But when Jesus said to rise up, that word began to resonate and begin to pierce into my heart and begin to open my eyes to what I was really created for. I'm created for life and for power, not only, not just for me to survive. I'm not just a survivor. I'm an overcomer. And God has created me to be a blessing to other people. One of the ways you know you're getting healthy, you're no longer just living about you and talking about you. And well, what do we, I would just want everybody to know what I've gone through. No, but no longer, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. When I begin to live as Christ wants me, I now become a blessing. It's no longer about me, it's about what God can do through you. As God begins to use me to bring a strength to you. And one, of, one of the most important stories, you, you, you don't want to live a life of regret. But all you did, all your life is just think about, well, this is what I wanted to do, but couldn't do it because I just couldn't do it. No, God has given you gifts. God has given you life. He's given you breath. And there's times where the devil comes in like the flood and the devil will seek to destroy you. For instance, I want to tell you something. I remember going through this when I was battling my own addiction. I said, Lord, why did you let me have this back surgery anyway? I got mad at God because of my back surgery. I was upset. God, you know, why would you allow me to fall into this trap because of a back surgery? I, I was a carpenter. I did my best. And now I become addicted. And now I'm living under the shame of this thing. And, and I remember just beating myself down. And the Lord said, Ray, the Lord spoke to me one day. He says, Ray, look it. He says, do you not think that I can take what you've gone through and I can use it to bring healing and deliverance to other people? You don't have to be ashamed of your testimony. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of sharing these things. By the way, do you know this is where people live right now? I, know I could stand up here and just say, you know, God is good. God is faithful. He's a reward of them to diligence. But, but 
I love what the Apostle Paul says. He says, before, before, before I was injurious, I was a persecutor, I blasphemed, I, I brought great harm to the church. But he said that, that in me, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, he says that in me, that God would use me as a pattern of his mercy to those who will be saved. God will use your testimony. God will take where you've come from and use it as a testimony of what he can do for others who need help and healing. We never want to be ashamed of our testimony. By the way, you don't have to go into the depths of sin and have a horrible train wreck of a life to say, well, here's my testimony. Maybe, you, maybe your life has been a train wreck. Maybe, maybe you've had a stellar testimony and God's grace has kept you. That's a powerful testimony. You don't have to have a train wreck of a life for God to use you like the Apostle Paul. God can still use you in that His grace has kept you from things. That's a powerful testimony as well. I want to just leave you with some things that I think it's important as far as rewriting the narrative of my story, which is my vision. Number one, I need to really have a renewed mind of the Father's love for me. He loves me enough. He cares enough for me. And he's not ashamed of me, even though he's seen me in this condition. The second thing, I need to saturate my mind with God's promises. And then I need to allow my story to be rewritten. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to rewrite my life. What that means is this. I need to begin to give thanks. I need to begin to confess and make some declarations. I need to establish a healthy focus in my life. You need to have a I can do all things kind of a testimony. I can overcome. I'm going to win. I'm going to surround myself with men and women around in my life that are going to hold me accountable because I'm not going to stay in this place any longer. I'm going to rise, I'm going to take my bed, and I'm going to start walking. I'm going to start seeing some momentum. I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward in a healthy direction. And the last thing is this. I think it's important for us, for any vision. We need to think big. Everyone say big. You need to think beyond the borders of where you've been. I'm going to close today with a, uh, a powerful uh, video. If we could turn that on, Neam, and then I'll pray after this video. Real quick. Grace Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new most unlikely hero, a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical when they lose a game because he, you know, started yelling or whatever. I said, the hard kind is small. All I want to have is doing for Kenny. Let's go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElroy. 
After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make it? I just, just airballed it. <laughs> I'm like, just, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed, too, but the third was a chunk. A three-point no-doubter. And Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have lifted it, you know? He caught fire. It was caught fire. As high as a pistol. <laughs> Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers. One right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time the shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last pass, right at the buzzer, created total mayhem. Because he is autistic, Jason says he's used to feeling different, but never this different. Never this wonderful. Steve Hartman, CBS News, <clears throat> Rochester, New York. Anyway. Hey, man, let's stand to our feet, shall we? I, I wanted to show that. I think I showed up some, some time ago. But what that speaks to is that we don't have to stay down. We don't have to be limited. Yeah, I love the attitude of this young man on this video because all he needed was a chance. If we give people a chance, it's no telling how far they can go. But I just want to say this. Give yourself a chance. Give yourself a chance. Don't limit what God can do in your life. When Jesus gives us a word to arise, I believe the word, the prophetic word all day today in this service, from Athea to David to John, is the word to rise up. Amen? Let's, let's believe, first of all, in our Heavenly Father's goodness. Let's also believe that what he's put inside of us is something that is real. Let's start looking and drawing from within rather than trying to seek changes from without. Let's, let's draw from what's in. And the last thing is think big. Believe God for great things. Amen? Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, that your word always gives strength and life, even though at times we feel limited and weak. Lord, you said no good thing. No good thing you will withhold of them that walk uprightly. Those who trust in you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that even when we've been in a situation for a long time, you still can make all things good. You can still work things together for good. Lord, I pray that as you love your people here today, I pray that you just go with us. Lord, help us to think outside the box. Lord, I pray that none of us, Lord, would ever write ourselves off. Limit your hand in our life, but trust you because you do care. Everyone said, Amen.